Welcome to the history of networking, where we drag all the skeletons out of the wiring closet and ponder the ghosts of protocols past. Today, we are talking to Olivier Bonaventure about the history of multipath TCP. So grab a pile of cookies, settle in, and listen as we meld with the finest minds in networking. Well, good morning, Olivier. Well, is it morning there? Yes, it is still morning, right? Or are you afternoon at your po- at this point? It's afternoon already. It's afternoon already. See, I'm already behind the day, and it's just starting for me. And morning, Donald. Um, glad you could make it this morning. So, Olivier, let's talk a little bit. Let's begin with just a little bit of history about how you got into networking or network engineering, because that's always interesting for people to listen to or just to understand how um, some of the, how people, various people get into network engineering. Okay, so maybe my first um, uh, interest in networking started when I was 12 years old, so I had the opportunity to get a 300 bits per second modem, and so I was able to uh, connect to BBS and be involved in the management of BBS over the years. And then I even passed my uh, AM radio uh, exam to be able to do packet uh, radio uh, at uh, 100. 1,200 bits per second. And then I went to university. In university, there was a strong networking group at the University of Liège where I was. So I was able to, uh, uh, to, to learn about networking and to enter a PhD in networking. And my PhD was on TCP over a technology which is not yet used anymore, which is ATM, asynchronous transfer mode. And then I became professor. And when I became professor, I said, well, I've done a, I've done a lot on TCP, so I should work on something else. So I did routing, BGP, and other stuff. And then there was an opportunity to join a European project that was called Trilogy, uh, where people with Mark and Lee and others, we had the idea of changing the internet uh, with different elements. And uh, Multipass TCP was part of this project. And so that's the reason why I entered in Multipass TCP. So both an opportunity and um, the idea to come back to TCP after 10 years of absence in the TCP domain. Oh, cool. So you specifically got into amateur radio to do packet radio, which is interesting to me because most of the people I know who have amateur radio license, like me, we, we all got into it just to do long distance, you know, just to do long distance communication and two meter and 440 just to talk in our cars and stuff like that before the advent of cell phones. Yeah, I, I almost never use the, the AM radio to talk. I mainly use it to do uh, experiments with packet radio. It was fun at that time. Uh, when oh. I was a student, it was really amazing. We yeah, even listened to the space shuttle over packet radio, and this was funny part, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool, actually. That's really neat. So this project to change the internet, um, there have been a few of those throughout the years, none of which seem to ever pan out really. Um, you know, like name data networking is a big thing or was a big thing for a while and others. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what was the point or what were you trying to, to do there? So in Trilogy, we, we wanted to, so the idea was to put uh, people within in Europe that were involved in the ITF. So the idea was to bring new ideas to standardization and to bring together people from networking and also people from economics to take 
this and from operators to take these viewpoints into account. And so we looked at different issues and the successful one has been multi-pass CCP. So the idea of being able to use multiple paths uh, to uh, be able to uh, transport data. And um, the foundation for that was that th there had been early work uh, from uh, mathematician uh, within in Cambridge that looked at how to spread the load from over multiple paths inside the network with a mathematical solution. And then within the trilogy project, uh, Mark Henley and others, they proposed solutions to be able to do congestion control over multiple paths, so to adapt the TCP congestion control so that it could run over multiple paths. And in the first year of the project, they saw that now that congestion control is between brackets solved, uh, the difficult part is gone. We can do multipass TCP because for multipass TCP, you just need to specify uh, the packet format. And once you have the packet format, everything will be fine. Uh, it turned out that it was a bit more complex than that because when we wrote the first implementation of multipass TCP in the Linux kernel, and uh, we tried to do tests with this implementation between uh, Louvain-Neuve and Finland, uh, we found that the connection could not be established. And it turned out that there was a, a firewall in our university that was rewriting TCP sequence numbers. And this was our first interaction with Middlebox that would uh, change packets and modify packets on the fly. And those Middlebox has been a problem for multipass TCP that have forced us to change many parts of the design of multipass TCP. So making multipass TCP from a research ID that works in the lab to something which is deployable over the internet uh, forced us to fight, to fight a lot with middle boxes. And in the end, we managed to find a solution that works reliably because now multipass CCP is deployed. So, so let's back up a little bit because it's interesting that um, typically when people think of multipath, they think of ECMP and having different flows run over different over different paths in the network, right? Like with wide find out in a data center fabric or even multi-path over a wide area network or something like that. So it's interesting because most of the time in those situations, you want a single TCP session to run over a single path within that network because otherwise you lose performance, right? You get out of order packets and all this other stuff. So this, you're actually solving that problem, or you are solving that problem with multipath TCP, essentially. So, multipath TCP solves different problems. So, the first one that you refer to, equal cost multipass, uh, it was one of the early papers on multipass TCP that was published at SICOM by uh, Costin Reshu, Mark Henley, and many others, where they, they show that multipass TCP can be used inside the data center where you have multiple equal cost paths. And when you have multiple equal cost paths in the data center, uh, multipass TCP can exploit them efficiently and can uh, react to congestion, react to link failures in an efficient manner. And so the, the paper has attracted a lot of interest and uh, we have demonstrated with the implementation that it runs in Amazon AWS and things like that. But in the end, the solution has not been deployed in real data centers as far as I know. So there is a possibility with multipass TCP to exploit the different paths. Basically, what you do to be able to exploit different paths where you have equal cost multipass is that you simply create different subflows. So a multipass TCP connection is composed of different TCP connections that are called subflows. And these subflows can be created over with, by using different source ports. And so if you use different source ports, they will be hashed over different paths. And so you can have the different paths that are used between the client and the server, and then the congestion control will make sure that you use the less loaded one. 
So this works well from simulations and from experiments, but industry has not adapted it yet. Um, what are the reasons for that? I think one of the reasons is that uh, Linux Multipath CCP is not yet part of the official Linux kernel. It has been available for a long time, but only as an of three patches. And for many uh, uh, data center operators, this is a blocking factor because they don't want to depend on of three patches and they want it to be integrated. But the good news is that there is an effort with uh, Intel, Red Hat, TSRS, and Apple to uh, create an upstream version of Multipass CCP in, uh, in the Linux kernel. So that's the first use case when you have equal cost Multipass. Uh, the second use case for Multipass CCP has been the smartphones where you have Wi-Fi and LTE. And when you have Wi-Fi and LTE, you want to be able to do at least uh, smooth handovers between one and the other. And that's the deployment that Apple has been doing with Siri since 2013. And uh, uh, recently, last month, they have started to use it also for Apple Music and for Apple Maps. And their use case is mainly when you listen to music while you are walking. Typically, you switch from LTE to Wi-Fi and you want your music to continue to stream without any interruption. And so now, all the, I don't know, 90 million users of Apple Music are doing multipass TCP. So this is a massive amount of multipass TCP traffic. Right, so that's really cool. So like I said, the first, the first use case is essentially just taking advantage of multiple paths available on the network. And the second is this handoff concept where you actually set up two sessions in parallel, well, micro or um, subflows, right, in parallel, and you just switch from one to the other. So explain a little bit about how you're doing that and why you came to the point of doing it that way. You talked about middle boxes. I'm assuming that the reason you use multiple source ports is partially because of these middle boxes. Uh, no. So in the data centers, we use multiple source ports because we, we simply want uh, to the flows to be hashed over different paths. And uh, we have no, we, we did not have any issue with middle, middle, middle boxes in the data centers. And for, for the smartphone use case, then typically on the smartphone, you have different IP addresses on the Wi-Fi and on the LTE. And so the two connections that you create over the two paths, they follow different paths and they reach a server. And so they are merged by the server at the destination. Okay, and so then, it's two, yeah, two separate that source IP addresses entirely. Yes. Okay. And then the decision to create the, the, the TCP subflow over the Wi-Fi or over the LTE is done by the smartphone. So you have two possibilities. One possibility is to create the to, to create the two connections when you open the multipass TCP connection. So you start over Wi-Fi and over LTE at the same time. But if you do that, then you will consume energy. And another approach is to do a, um, to start the connection over the Wi-Fi interface when the cellular fails or the opposite. And so if you do that, then you have some delay because you have to start the second connection. But your connection from the application viewpoint remains active because with multipass TCP, you can have multiple subflows at the same time for a given connection. But if one breaks, then all the traffic can move to all the other available subflows. And you can have some period of time during which you have no subflow while you are waiting for the creation of a new one to recover in backup mode, for example. Okay, so that's cool. Good. So 
Let's walk back a little bit to the challenges of metal boxes. Can you describe a few of those and how you overcame those? I mean, because these are interesting to think through, like what challenges you faced in developing and deploying a new technology and how you overcame them so that, you know, just to understand that a little bit. So if you, if you look at um, an IP packet that you send from a client to a server, when I explain IP and TCP to my students, I always tell them, well, everything which is inside the payload of the IP packet will never be modified by routers and routers will only update the time to the, the TTL field and minor things in the IP header. If you look at a packet that you send over the internet, in fact, any field of the IP header or the TCP header and even the TCP payload can be modified by middle boxes. And so we had to cope with all these possible modifications in the design of multipass TCP. Uh, let me show some, some examples. Um, so a multipass TCP connection is composed of different TCP subflows. These are TCP connections. And so you want to create a link between the different TCP connections at the receiver so that you, must, you want to know that two connections are related to the same multipass TCP connection. And for, for that, you cannot simply take the identification of the, the fortuple that identifies the TCP connection on the client and send it to the server because on the server side, the IP address that you see from the client is not the one that the client sees. For example, if you have a NAT, then this doesn't work. So what happens is that when we create a multipass TCP connection, the first things that we have to do is that we have to add an identification of the multipass TCP connection that we call a token on the server side and on the client side. And now if I want to create a subflow which is attached to a multipass TCP connection, then on the client side, I need to uh, send a SYN packet. And in the SYN packet, I need to provide the token of the multipass TCP connection on the server side so that the new connection can be attached to the old one. So, so what you've basically done is created a new field within TCP that metal boxes don't have any reason to mess with or don't traditionally mess with such that you can identify the flow on both ends so you can yes. see that multiple flows are related to one another. Yeah, so that's one aspect. Uh, another aspect is that while we are sending data over two paths and the data sent over two paths can, can be reordered in different ways. So we need to have sequence numbers inside uh, multipass TCP. So we have a new field in multipass TCP that allows us to uh, provide the, the multipass TCP sequence numbers. And then these uh, packets that contain the multipass TCP sequence numbers, they, they, they will be sent inside the TCP packet that contains the TCP sequence number. And we have to make sure that over each subflow, the TCP sequence number uh, progresses as a regular TCP connection would progress. So we cannot have gaps in the sequence numbers of a TCP connection, even if we know that data has been received over the other subflow. And so we have two levels of sequence numbers. So, so the sequence numbers within each TCP flow can't, or they, they're free-floating within that TCP flow, right? Or yes. within that subflow, right? And then this outer, this extra sequence number you've added doesn't do that. And that, again, is because the sequence numbers can be overwritten by a 
middle box of some yes. type. So the TCP sequence number in the TCP header can be overwritten by a middle box and they can do proactive acknowledgements. They can uh, even, another issue that we face is that if you have a middle box that contains an application level gateway for FTP, for example, then this application level gateway will rewrite the payload and modify the sequence numbers. So we had to put a checksum inside multipass TCP to be able to detect that and to be able to cope with that. Okay, interesting. So you've had to add a good bit of complexity in dealing with middle boxes, which were put in place in the first place to deal with kind of just too many IP addresses and then stateful filtering and things like that. But I assume the stateful filtering isn't the issue. It's just mostly the network address translation and port address translation. Oh, it's, it's the network address translation, the port address translation, but that's the easy part. The most complex one are the middle box that would change the TCP sequence numbers, that would uh, change the, that, that would segment or reassemble the packets. And you have those middle boxes in, in your NICs as well. And so we have to cope with that. If we want to have good performance, we must be compatible with TSO and GRO on the network interface card. And this is a kind of middle box because you give it a TCP segment and then it will split it. And when it splits the TCP segment, typically what it does is that it, it will take the TCP options and copy the TCP options in the different TCP segment when you are sending data. And so the design of the multipass TCP option that we pass in the large segment has to take into account the fact that uh, this uh, multipass TCP option will be copied multiple times in the segments between for being forwarded and the opposite at the receiver. Okay, interesting. And so that actually would still apply to IPv6 as well because this is a TCP layer. This is not yes. down at the IP layer. So we're not talking about IP fragmentation here. We're talking about... No, no, it's, it's TCP at, level. At, yeah. at TCP level, right. So um, how does this? How would you say this relates to the workaround quick? Is there a lot of this that's gone into workaround quick that you know of or is this completely separate? What do we mean by workaround quick? Uh, you know, the quick protocol. Yes, and I know quick very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are, I understand they're doing multiple streams within quick, within a single quick um, flow as well. Is that, are they doing similar things or do you know how they're doing that as well? So in, in, in quick, they are doing multiple stream, but the multiple stream that they do in quick is similar to the multiple streams that we have in SCTP. Okay. So you have the ability to have different byte streams inside a given quick connection. So that's completely different than what MTCP yeah. is doing. Okay. But in, in quick, there is an extension that we propose to do multipass quick as well. So okay. to apply the same techniques as for multipass TCP inside, multipass, inside quick as well. Okay, interesting, yeah. So, so let's talk about the standardization process a little bit. What did that look like? Was it very complex, hard to get people to pick this up and think about it? I mean, you talked a little bit about the Linux kernel, but let's go through the standardization first. So in standardization within the ITF, since uh, we assembled a team of people who are uh, well-known within the ITF, it was pretty easy at the, at, in the early days to convince the ITF that uh, doing multipass CCP was a good idea. So if you look at the first meetings where there was the multipass CCP working group or the both to create the, the working group, there were lots of interest around that. And then when we saw that the middle box were messing up, the interest decreased a bit until the publication of the, the RFC 6824 in 2013. 
But shortly after, so the, the RFC was published in January, I think. In September, Apple used it multipass TCP for the Siri application. And this was a huge deployment because it was used on all iPhones. And so this was a confirmation that TCP, multipass TCP was a good design and could solve real problems. That's interesting because you often hear people say, oh, IETF is such a blocker to getting new technologies put out there. It's so slow, blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting. So the way you worked or, or the way you worked within the ITF is first to build a team of people who are well-known and would be already be respected, right? Yes. And convince them. So it's the socialization process first. And then the second thing was, you know, when you hit blockers, you found researchers to go do research and figure out how to solve those blockers, and then the deployment itself. I think people miss that a lot of times is that that initial deployment of a major vendor or a major um, application, you know, some, some major application to drive it is a very important thing. So that's very important for the long term. But during the standardization, I think what was important in uh, multipass CCP and what did not happen in other protocols that I've observed is that uh, we developed uh, the Linux kernel implementation of multipass CCP in parallel with the standardization. And the fact that it was developed in parallel and it was open source enabled a lot of people to do experiments and to report experiments. And so we were really designing the protocol in parallel with working on the implementation and seeing strange things. And so when the, the RFC was finished, it was already between brackets proven that it would work over the internet. And so although it was an experimental uh, ITF document, it was already proven to work and to support a, a range of use cases. And that's the reason why Apple was able to reuse the protocol quickly because it was designed in parallel with first deployment and experiments over the rear internet. Yeah, that's interesting because again, there's always this question about what's the relationship between open source and open standards. And that's a perfect illustration of how important that back and forth interplay is between the two, that if you develop a standard in parallel with developing the source code or developing an open source implementation, it makes a big difference in how quickly it can be standardized and figured out. Yeah, it, it also shows to industry that uh, this is realistic and this is real. This is not a crazy idea from uh, university researchers. It's something real that works. And so we got a good performance and we, we tuned the performance of the multipass CCP implementation. And at one point, we, we showed that we could reach 50 gigabits per second by combining six 10 gigs in, uh, interface for a single TCP connection, which was quite interesting at that time. Yeah, well, it still is interesting, right? I mean, being able to multipath, have a single, like, a, particularly when you start thinking about things like a Spark or a Hadoop big file transfer, when you start thinking about uh, elephant flows within a data center fabric and how you have to pin those up and think about traffic engineering, this type of technology could have a major impact in the way you actually design your ECMP and your traffic engineering and traffic steering within a data center fabric. So yeah. that goes back to your, your other use case. So it's not just the data center or the layout, it's the actual program because you have to write something that can pump out 60 gigabytes per second, right? I mean, it, I mean, it's great. I think it's a great idea, but if you don't have a program that can spit that data out in a meaningful ma manner, it doesn't matter that you can do it. But you should be able to write programs that do that. Yeah, 
you should. <laughs> yeah, but maybe uh, as a comment, so one important design objective of, of for, for multipass TCP was to be uh, compatible with TCP. So in any network where TCP works, multipass TCP works, uh, and possibly it goes back to regular TCP if there are middle boxes. But it's also important for the application because we do not change the socket API. And so an application that runs using the socket API over TCP, you change the kernel, then it runs over multipass TCP and the application doesn't have to change anything, doesn't see anything. Now, was that, an, was that an intentional design choice that was made early on in building MTCP, uh, MTCP? Because that's an important point as well, is thinking through how something like this, which is not Greenfield, right? It's Brownfield. It's a Brownfield protocol, can actually get deployed. Yeah, so this was one of the objectives to, to have the first version, which is deployable without changing the application. And, and the idea was that later we could change the application that could interact with multipass CCP to select the subflow that you want to use at what time you want to uh, create it and things like that. But the first version was designed so that the kernel would do everything and uh, the application wouldn't have to, to worry about the fact that it's using multipass CCP. But if you look at the smartphone use case, for example, then the application is uh, aware of the fact that multipass TCP is used and the application can decide whether to use Wi-Fi or LTE because it makes sense from an energy viewpoint, it makes sense from a performance viewpoint, and so there are uh, special applications that control this in an efficient manner. And there are different ways to control that. So interesting, right. Because a lot of people don't realize as well is that there are interactions between the transport layer and the application. For instance, BGP can say, I want you to push the data now and close off a TCP stream because TCP is streaming rather than per packet. So there, is, there are interactions where the application can say, all right, I want you to push this data now rather than waiting until you get a full segment. I assume all of that exists within MTCP as well. Yeah, so today in the Linux kernel of uh, implementation, you basically, the, the initial support is the same socket API as for TCP. And then there are extensions in the socket API to control the establishment of subflows, but not to decide over which subflow you want to send data because that's the kernel that will decide based on the congestion window, based on the round trip time. And uh, there, there are also uh, more recently eBPF uh, bytecode that allow you to control that from the application viewpoint as well. Okay, cool. So you talk about getting it into the kernel. What is that like? Uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand the whole process of trying. Is that, again, just socialization or is that technological proving it out or how does that work out? So that that's complex. So initially... So the, let, let's go back to, the, to why we have implemented multipass CCP and why it was done in a university lab. So we were in a project with industry and in the early days of the project, there was a, a discussion on who would implement multipass CCP and industry said, oh, it looks too complex for us to implement multipass CCP. And in the lab, I had one student, Sebastian Barré, who said, ah, I think I can do it because I've already done an implementation of another protocol in the kernel, and I think I can try to do it. And so he managed to do the implementation. So he started from the existing TCP implementation, and then he modified the TCP implementation uh, by adding branches and by adding new data structures so that it can support multipass TCP. 
And so the multipath CCP evolved. Other PhD students joined uh, Sebastian to improve the implementation, including Christophe Pache, Gregory de Tal, and others. And over the years, we had a patch of 10,000 lines. And when we show the 10,000 lines of patch to uh, the kernel developers of TCP, uh, they basically said, well, this is too large for us. We cannot look at such a large patch. And you change the data structure, you introduce branching, so you will impact the performance of regular TCP. So uh, but we, we cannot integrate that in the official TCP kernel. And we don't see enough industry interest in multipath TCP today to be able to do it. And so it was blocked. So both diverge, so TCP continued to evolve in the in the standard Linux kernel, and multipath CCP, what we did is that uh, from time to time we would rebase the implementation on uh, a new release uh, for a stable kernel. And then uh, two or three years ago there was um, um, a growing interest in multipath CCP, mainly coming from Apple and also from the utilization in hybrid access network with TestRS, and what uh, they have done is that uh, a group of engineers have started to discuss with the maintainers of the TCP stack saying, well, you see multipath CCP is getting more and more deployed. It would be good to have it integrated in the official Linux kernel. What can we do to be able to achieve that goal? And so they said, well, you need to minimize the amount of branching that you do. You need to uh, take into account the data structures that you use. You need to make sure that when we enable multipath CCP, there is no performance impact. So instead of having multipath CCP that completely replaces TCP as we have today, they ask multipath TCP to be uh, exposed through a socket option that would force the application to select multipath TCP. And now there is an effort uh, with uh, Intel, Red Hat, TSRS, and Apple on pushing a new version of multipath TCP in the Linux kernel. And so there is a mailing list where they, they discuss every week, and so they have uh, design plans and they discuss from time to time with the main maintainers of the TCP implementation in the kernel. And I hope that in a few months, they will send a patch for review uh, on the uh, NetNext mailing list. Okay, excellent. So it's been more than just the technical parts. Like it sounds like to me, you actually had to build a Greenfield implementation to get to the point where the Linux kernel folk would accept it. It's not yes. just a matter of even yes, just building, you know. This is rewriting the implementation, yeah. Right. So, so it's more than just building, uh, it's more than just building the social consensus and showing use cases and things like that. It's actually building a, a code base that the Linux folks feel or believe fits into the patterns and everything that the Linux kernel already uses in a way where it won't uh, yes, exactly. cause problems. You have, to, you have to remember that the kernel people have to maintain the code. So if you give them something that they're not interested in maintaining, for whatever reason, it's not going to go in. And and the other bit that's incredibly important, I've I've been on the same end of the discussion about changes to the TCP stack, and and how I shouldn't say militant, but that's probably the right word is they are very careful about performance because everyone looks at the performance, and they can and, and and when when the when performance goes down, there are people knocking on the door going, "Hey, this is worse. You need to fix it." So, so that's why they are so careful about this. 
Yeah, but that's that's why there there have been lots of discussion between the multipass TCP developers and the TCP developers and the key people, the key TCP people on Linux. Right. Yeah. So, Donald, anything else to ask before we start thinking about winding this down and closing it up? Sure. I, I guess what would, you know, you're looking back over this project, what would you change? What would you do different now that you've done it? So what would I change for Multipass CCP? Or process, how you've done it, or anything like that. I mean, is there anything you would change that you felt or you think would have made it easier, faster, I don't know, whatever? So I, at least what, what I see is that um, putting Multipass in the quick protocol has been much easier than putting it in, in the TCB protocol because we don't have to care about middle boxes. And the fact that encryption in, in quick uh, prevents ossification from middle boxes makes it much easier to evolve a protocol than what we have done in multi in multipass CCP. On, on the other hand, we will see how quick gets deployed and how long it takes to uh, bring multipass quick inside the quick protocol. So do you see that process as something similar to getting accepted in the Linux kernel, or do you think it's easier because it's being driven more by the industry, or how do you see that interaction happening? So I think that multipass will be part of quick version 2, uh, once they finalize quick version one, which should happen uh, maybe by the end of this year or maybe early next year. And then there will be discussions on doing multipass quick because there is a, there are lots of use cases around multipass quick that will happen. And so the, the design of the quick protocol makes it much easier to add multipass extensions to quick than to TCP. And so this will probably happen early next year and we will see uh, maybe deployment on, on smartphones or deployment on other devices that are that have benefits by using multiple paths. So one example are the, uh, the hybrid access network that use multipass TCP to combine DSL and LTE and uh, they provide uh, improved uh, bandwidth in rural areas for multiple uh, network operators and this is um, this is a nice use case for multipass technology which is very different for what, from what we have on smartphone what we have in data centers and so the same technology can be used for for large range of large range of use cases you also mentioned ipv4 ipv6 uh, does it support ipv4 and ipv6 yes multipass technology support both and once you have a multipass protocol, a multipass transport protocol, you can easily switch from IPv4 to IPv6 and select the path that has the best performance for you. And so there are lots of benefits when you have multipass transport because uh, you have many more choices in the selection of the path that you would like to use to reach a given destination. And this is, this is a major change compared to what we have today with TCP. So today with TCP, a client would send its packet along a specific path to reach a server. And if you have multipass technology, then you can select multiple paths to reach a server. And so this opens a new dimension to do congestion control, to react to failures. And this is something which uh, we will see over the year, over the years, improvements around using that technology once they get uh, upstream in the kernel or once they get adopted by applications. Cool, excellent. Is there some place where people can keep up with the MTC, uh, MTCP work? I have to say that 10 times to get it straight in my head. The multipath TCP work that's going on right now? Uh, so there is the multipass-tcp.org. 
uh, website, uh, which is the, the website for the reference implementation of Multipass TCP. And there is, so you can download the Linux kernel implementation. There are pointers to different articles and there is a blog where there is a summary of uh, many discussion on Multipass TCP and there are mailing lists and pointers on, on this website. So I would say this is the reference. Okay, and for your work specifically, do you have a site where you publish papers and, or do you use Twitter or anything to announce stuff that you're working on? Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I'm the I'm the leader of the IP networking lab at uh, University Catholique de Louvain in Louvain of Belgium, and we have a website which is inl.info.ucl.ac.be. Okay, I'll put those in the show notes so that people can go out and take a look at your uh, other papers that you're working on and stuff. Um, so, Olivier, thanks for joining us on the history of networking. Donald, anything you want to close off with before I kill the recording? No. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, really thanks. For, yep. Thank you very much, Olivier. And um, anything else from you, Olivier? Uh, no, thanks a lot for the discussion. It has been interesting to discuss with you, even if you had to wake up early. <laughs> it's not too early, not for me anyway. But okay, fine. That's good. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, thank you, Olivier, for coming on, and um, we'll be in touch later. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Have a nice day. You too.